Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And uh, it's a TriCast. I haven't said that in a while. We're on 970 AM, The Answer, and on 107.1 in Long Island, Hampton Bays, and WABC Radio, the most powerful radio station, one of the most powerful radio stations on the East Coast. And right now, after dark, we're probably in 36 states and uh, up in Canada and uh, Northern Europe. If anybody's a hasn't slept in Northern Europe. Uh, in the studio with us today, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. We have uh, Craig Eaton from uh, Brooklyn fame, and he was 10 years a GOP chair. And today, Lydia. Lydia is out. Hopefully she feels better tomorrow, and she'll be back tomorrow. We miss her. And uh, Craig, what's going on in Brooklyn? Brooklyn is crazy, but I'll tell you, John. Well, we got walking, a Brooklyn guy on the phone with us all yeah. the way calling in. Brooklyn guy calling in all the way from Israel. One of my favorite lawyers, Tell Professor him Alan Dershowitz, leading constitutional lawyer in the country, Harvard Law School emeritus, a leading voice in the support of Israel. Professor, how are you today? I'm great. You know, when I walk around Tel Aviv, sometimes I think it's Brooklyn. A lot of people with Brooklyn accents here. <laughs> are you ever going to come back? <laughs> We want you back. Coming back, um, coming back on Thursday night. I have to be at a conference all day. Thursday, I met everybody important in Israel, the president, the prime minister, the heads of intelligence, the heads of the Air Force, the heads of you name it. I met everybody. Well, we, we want you here in the office. We want you to meet everybody important on Third Avenue. Sure. Sure. I'm sure. lighting the menorah yeah. next week. Are you coming? Uh, are you going to come uh, helping? I'm from menorah. I, I'll, I'll make the blessings. I can. I used to be a choir boy. So oh, it's me and me. It would be me, you, yeah. uh, Rabbi Butman, and Sidney Rosenberg. Sure. I right. went last All year. Right. It, was, it was so crowded there last year. Uh, yeah, you couldn't I just even get close to, to it. Couldn't couldn't get get close below to freezing. It. When you get up there 59 feet in the air. You know, walking here from, from the garage before I passed by the tree, you cannot walk on the streets. The sidewalks, even the streets, they closed a few of the streets. I've never seen it like this. This is even before COVID, I don't think it was this crowded. Well, Professor. It's, it's 70, 72 degrees here in, in Israel, and I'm getting ready to sing the menorah song. So get ready to hear my voice. So you're going to have to, to do that, that. When, the, when we light the candles, right? Give, give us the hot news of the day. I mean, uh, you've, they arrested this well, guy in the Bahamas, yeah. uh, the guy from well, Twitter. In uh, case. Well, yeah. What do you, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about that case. Let's talk about the the case of this, you know, young man, this wonderkind who uh, was worth, I don't know, $32 billion uh, on cryptocurrency. And now, uh, you know, he's he's uh, uh, being extradited to the United States. His parents are being investigated. They're both law professors at Stanford. The New York Times has a headline basically saying the government said this thing was a fraud right from the beginning. You know, the guy is presumed innocent. I haven't seen the evidence yet. Just because the New York Times and the prosecutor says somebody's guilty, you can't jump to conclusions. Something went wrong. That's clear. Something went wrong. The question is, was it a fraud from the beginning? Did he really have something and then it went bad and he didn't uh, quickly enough uh, recover? 
these are hard questions that have to be decided based on evidence. But, you know, people love to see young kids who have made it big fall. And I'm just not ready to jump on that bandwagon yet. I just want to see the evidence. Yes, Alan, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. They have they had an eight count indictment, you know, yeah. uh, wire fraud, mail fraud, uh, campaign finance yeah. fraud. So securities fraud, money laundering, money laundering, money laundering. and you know, the SEC also filed an action as right. well. But that's typical. You know, when the government comes after you, it could be one simple act and they could make it wire fraud, conspiracy to wire fraud, money laundering. They multiply the offenses over and over again. I've had cases like that uh, repeatedly. Now, I'm not saying the guy's innocent. I just don't know. But I'm not going to jump to a conclusion based on a New York Times headline or based on an indictment. An indictment is simply a piece of paper that a grand jury signed at the request of prosecutors. As we all know, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. It's merely so, an accusation. You're absolutely correct, Professor. It's an accusation. That's You're all it is. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. And something went wrong with this company. There's no doubt about that. And a lot of people got hurt. But this guy, I don't think this guy is Madoff. He doesn't sound to me like Madoff. He lived a simple life. He was into altruistic charities. I don't know. I want to give him the yeah, benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but he's a, he's a very, very smart guy. And, and, yeah. and, 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 too, and too much money involved. I, I, I can't believe uh, that kind of money was involved and that yeah. this guy plays the, but, the plays the game that he's so very simple. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But does anybody on the show, we have, you know, brilliant people in your panel. Does anybody understand what cryptocurrency really is? Do we know what, I mean, it seems to me. It's make your own I'm money, a isn't stupid it? Person. I have no idea how private people go around creating money. The Constitution says. That, you know, money is created by Congress. They're the ones who allow, you know, dollar bills to be printed. But, but, but uh, who was the guy from Barlam and Bailey says a fool is born every day? Yes. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, but people made a lot of money. People just made a lot of money. Well, if and, they and got out in time. Right. It's musical it's like a, chairs. Well, it's got, <laughs> while, the, while the music What's is the playing, definition of a Ponzi scheme? If, you got to be in got to be out. If, well, the music is playing. If you don't uh, get a seat. Right. So let me ask you a question. What concerned me is why this arrest now on the cusp of him supposedly testifying before Congress. Is that just a coincidence? Yeah, that was that was surprising. Now, was he really going to testify in person or was no, he going no, to do it? No, by Zoom. By Zoom. By Zoom. By Zoom. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the so, word last night you know, at a party I was testify. at it was they didn't want him to testify because uh, of what he might, uh, might say. But he can still testify. I mean, he'll get bail. There's no doubt. I mean, he'll get bail. Uh, he's not going to be a flight risk. He didn't try to resist arrest. He lives in, in in the Bahamas. So, you know, I think he'll get bail. And if he gets bail, he can testify. And he's going to say what he has to say. His lawyers may say, no, don't testify. Plead the fifth now because you're under indictment. And we don't want to give the prosecution uh, ammunition. Um, That's and, the right you know, advice, don't you think? You know, it all depends on what he has to say. That's generally the right advice. But, um, you know, if he's totally, totally innocent, maybe maybe he should testify. I, I you know, you, you can't second guess a lawyer's advice 
unless you know what the lawyer knows. And we don't know what the lawyer knows. So uh, we don't know what the client has told them. And, you know, not every client tells every lawyer the truth. You know, when, when I meet a client for the first time, they say, oh, I'm so totally innocent. I'm wonderful. I should be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, the second meeting, no, 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 no Nobel Peace Prize, but I'm innocent. The third meeting, well, I didn't do this one, although I've done others. And, you know, at the fourth meeting, I did it and let's get a deal. So you never know what a client's going to tell you and whether it's the truth or not. And you know what, Professor, we really didn't even know what the facts are here. Like the U.S. attorney earlier said that he stole millions and millions of dollars from his customers and used it on his own personal um, expenditures. So I think a lot's going to come out. And then at that point, I think we discuss uh, what's true and what's not true and what will happen to him. I agree with you. He certainly didn't have a lot of good taste in clothing. Or a haircut. Or a haircut. That's right. He cut. saved a lot of money on haircuts and right. clothes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. It's He's not... Madoff was very different. And Madoff... I'll never forget a meeting I had with Ellie Wiesel, who was my dear friend. And Ellie had tears in his eyes because Madoff had come to him and said, look, I don't usually take, you know, money from foundations, but you're such a great man that I'm willing to let you invest money from your humanitarian foundation in my great fund, which is always going to have a 12 percent return. And Ellie did it. And he was so upset and uh, he lost so much money, not for himself as much as for the foundation. Fortunately, he got about 70 percent of it back. Uh, from that really good person who I forget his name was appointed by the court to get it back. And I think he got about 70% back, but you know, Madoff just preyed on people, made up stories. It was a complete and total Ponzi scheme. There was nothing there. Whereas I don't know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear more about this kid. Maybe, maybe I'll be persuaded, but maybe I'm not. So, uh, I think everybody should keep an open mind. I think everybody should keep an open mind anytime. Somebody is indicted unless the evidence is just so overwhelming as it sometimes is. Let me ask you this. Have you been following the uh, whole situation with Musk and uh, the let's, revelations let's coming out of e- Elon Musk? Oh, I mean, that is a lot of stuff over there. What do you think about that? Oh, it's amazing. Well, first of all, you got to give Barry Weiss a lot of credit. She has turned up a lot of this information. And I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to see real evidence that uh, government agents intruded on the decisions uh, of social media and told them, you know, what to censor, what not to censor uh, in an effort to basically circumvent the First Amendment. Government can't censor. But if it tells private people to censor, the question is, is that government censorship or is it private censorship? And, you know, it starts with some stuff that you can understand. Don't they become state actors in that that case? They become state actors. But, you know, you can imagine if there's medical information during COVID, they're putting out stuff saying, you know, masks don't work at all. You should go into crowded places. You can see how the government would have at least an interest in preventing the spread of that kind of information. Maybe it's protected by the First Amendment, maybe not. But stuff about politics, stuff that will influence elections, no way the government has the right to anyway put a thumb on the scale of the decisions by social media and that's a real issue and a real danger well, like we, we talked about it yesterday it's not only what was going on with twitter it's at the same time facebook guy zuckerberg put up 400 million 419 million dollars somebody's reminded me in five states 
I mean, between Twitter and, and Facebook. Uh, to chase uh, up and, the votes. And, and, and chase up the votes. I mean, it, it had to affect the election somehow. Yeah, but, you know, there's no remedy for that. I mean, it's not like... No, it's over. I mean, we know we all know it. And, and no, I, I, yeah, I've, yeah. I, I've said it. The, the Democrats are street fighters. They they know how to, to win. And the Republicans on, on are redcoats. Look, look at today's New York Times. It has an interesting story saying in the midterm elections, where the Republicans did not win, you know, they didn't take over the Senate and they barely won the House, that the Republicans got many more votes from the Democrats. They just didn't get them in the right places. So, you know, neither party, it seems to me, are brilliant in terms of converting votes in our complicated democratic system into results. So um, we see it on both sides. But uh, the big issue, uh, look, I remember I was one of the lawyers in Bush versus Gore and the Republicans had a killer instinct in that case and the Democrats didn't. So, you know, sometimes one party, sometimes another party. Yeah, the big issue is that the Republicans don't seem to be up to speed in terms of the early voting. They discourage their people from doing early voting and just showing up on Election Day, where the Democrats really harvest those votes. And absentee voting as well. I mean, when I was the chairman in Brooklyn, um, the Democrats had an absentee process where they, they would get those absentee ballots out and they would make sure they came back in. And, and the Republicans, yeah. you know, I, I don't tough. like I don't like absentee voting. I don't like early voting. I like I going to the polls with your children, make it a big day, take them in, show them what it means to be an American and to vote. If you're if you're if they should have sure or if you're yeah. in the army, sure. But I, I don't think voting should be done over a month long period. I, I agree. Uh, I know, agree. There's two. You know, if you're going to do early voting, you should do the the worst case scenario: Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and that's it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing, by the way, about early voting: look what happened in the Fetterman. Oz race in Pennsylvania. They had a debate a few days before. More than half the votes had already been cast in the early voting. A, a few hundred thousand votes have already been cast, and they didn't realize the guy was unconscious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, but you know what? Even worse than that, Professor, some states have it where your early ballot, when you're mailing it back, it, as long as it gets in before the end of the day on election day, then that's acceptable. I mean, that, that's just rife with fraud. Because yeah, you're, you're in some small town, in you're in some small town, and you see the vote is not going in your way, you grab a couple of thousand people and make sure they get their votes delivered before five o'clock. Okay, there's yeah. been bipartisan studies. The yeah, the bipartisan studies showing that mail-in voting is uh, rife with fraud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Professor yeah, Alan I'm Dershowitz, some, thank I'm you. I'm some lawsuits on that. Yeah, good. Thank, thank you, you so hey. much, and God bless you, and uh, uh, and Cheers. come back from Israel safe. We miss you in you New will. York. <laughs> and we'll uh, see you next week. So we'll talk to you and see you next week. And It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night. John Katzmatidis here, and uh, we're back, and... Uh, well, there was a Siena polls were out this morning, and what the hell uh, they're saying? Well, what is today is John McLaughlin and a pollster uh, in himself, and one of the best in the in the country. Uh, John, what the heck is Siena saying today? Well, I wish they put this poll out in October, <laughs> <laughs> so because you know, full disclosure, I worked for Lee Zeldin, so for Lee, it was great numbers because. 
you know, during the campaign, the last time they polled in October uh, for Lee, he was a, he was a net negative. And, you know, there were, I guess uh, the governor was throwing a lot of negative ads at us and we were upside down 37 favorable, 41 unfavorable in, in this poll in October. But now he's 46-32. So I always have a little difference with Siena. I mean, because their poll is registered voters, not likely voters, and they only have 22% Republicans that don't really – doesn't really reflect the turnout we got where Lee ran a close race and, and certainly lost, you know, five, six points, but, uh, and, and did a lot better than people were giving us credit when these polls said we couldn't win. But John, what's really, the election is over with. All right. This is Lee's over with. Okay. It's over with. I will tell you. No, Don't be like Donald Trump. Trump. It's over with. Okay, but, but John, it's Richard Warmer, let me ask you. This poll was talking about Hochul made a whole bunch of promises about what she was going to do in 2022, and the polls show that the people are dissatisfied with her results. One, talk it's about over that. with. Talk the only, about the only that. poll that counts right. is Election Day. That's the only poll that counts. Oh, no, but now we say Zogel... Zelda election, Hochul election is over. But the point is, people are now saying that Hochul has not delivered. What do you say about that, John? They should have gone to vote. The people I should wish, have gone out that's to what vote. I, said. I, I wish these, you know, some of these people should have voted, but I wish these, I wish these numbers were out in October because it certainly says the issues that we ran on, crime and the cost of living, are the top issues in the state. And, and what's, what's upsetting is that these voters, they think the state's headed in the wrong track, 50% wrong direction, 38% right direction today. And they say that when you on the uh, financial fiscal condition in New York State, only 7% say it's excellent and only 21% say good. That's 28%, while 66% are saying it's either fair or poor. That's a negative rating. So, and it's saying that New York has serious problems and the governor's failed to make progress on, on several of the goals or as she mentioned. I mean, when she was talking about that she, you know, compared to a year ago, that she would demonstrate both honesty and integrity, 56 to 22, a, a year ago, they said that she, that she did that. It's only 44% that she demonstrates honesty and integrity now, 36% saying not. Uh, working hard for the people in New York, it was fifty-five twenty-three. It's now forty-seven thirty-four. So there may be, you know, the election's over. She's got four years, but there may be some briars remorse here because uh, crime is a serious problem. Ninety percent are saying crime is a serious problem. Fifty-nine percent very serious. We lost the five boroughs yeah. in New York yeah. by seventy percent, and that's the yes. worst crime areas. The five boroughs in New York. I know. John, this, is Craig, this it, is Craig Eaton. You know, buyer's remorse is great, but that we could talk about that four years from over. now, three years from now, when we, we start. But I'll tell you, Lee ran a great race in the worst of times. Yeah. In the yeah. worst of and times. I mean, the city and state couldn't be worse. And, and yeah. Lee ran a great race, and we still couldn't beat her. I, I don't know what, what that says. It says it had a two-to-one registration against the, Yeah. That's what it yeah, said. At the, end of the, at the end of the race, when we were doing our internal tracking, Everybody that were looking to get above that 47%, they were Democrats. And they were deciding whether they go back to being Democrats or do they vote for, vote for Zeldin. By the way, what's interesting is after you lose a race, usually your ratings go down. And for Zeldin to be up net of 18 points since the election. Jesus Christ, you guys won't stop. It's over <laughs> I think we bring Governor Pataki like, back four guy. years from now. Join That's us, what I join we us bring in Governor the studio. Pataki we have uh, uh, Governor uh, <laughs> George Pataki. Governor, welcome to the studio. Uh, thank you, John. It's oh, always God. great being back. I'm, I'm trying to tell Lee Zeldin it's over with. I mean, I'm trying to tell uh, John, John McLaughlin. 
<laughs> this election is over. The future is not, and I think Lee has a bright future. I do too. I think he was a great I candidate. He's a good, he's a good candidate. He's yeah. a smart guy, and, yes, and I like Lee. And he had a great lieutenant governor candidate. Yes, he did. She Allison was, Esposito was, was absolutely amazing on the campaign trail. Okay. She was terrific. No question. Yeah, but well, I want to know why the state legislature job. wants to convene to give themselves a raise and not deal with the crime issue. And by the way, it's not just a raise. It's a big raise. It's like a huge raise. It, it's so, utterly absurd. You know, they deserve yeah. a raise about as much as uh, uh, Bragg deserves to be promoted from D.A. to U.S. attorney or something. It's just it's just a joke. They have screwed up the and, state. They do everything wrong. And now they want a raise. And Hochul says and they should get it. And I just... I just find it, as a taxpayer in New York, disgusting. It's shameless. shameless. That ask, it's shameless that they would ask for a raise and not deal with the, the crime issue. Yeah. And it's way beyond the rate of inflation. Today, the rate of inflation is just under 8% under Biden right now. And that raise is like triple that. I mean, it's what, $30,000 or something. It's, it's just a... It's a stunning amount to a lot of people that are having trouble. Let's, you know, let's making go to the presidential race. Our, our our mutual friend down in uh, Florida. What the heck is going on? He hasn't called you yet. <laughs> it's like, no, I think you I must have I, lost I, my know. number. Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to him. So, but but in the meantime, <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be Don't you're rush. gonna have a free <laughs> I mean, you got a you got a situation there where a lot of the polls are coming out and they're saying, you know, I mean, there was one poll today that says DeSantis is 24 points ahead of uh, President Trump. Yeah, but then sixty-one percent want somebody with Trump's policies, and and but they, you know, I mean, the guys. There's been a lot of negative press since November eighth, where they've been talking about, in effect, his company business stuff, that the, the legal matters that were here, um, and some of the stuff is is uh, some some of the uh, uh, the press that's coming out now about Elon Musk and Twitter and these emails. I mean, you know, when you look at it. You had the president of the United States and his right to free speech in October of 2020 during the election was just, was was in effect a bridge because they wouldn't cover the Hunter Biden laptop. And the emails that are, that went back and forth from the Twitter executives among themselves, of which in their in their campaign contributions, 99 percent had given to the Democrats, not to the Republicans, like one percent had given to any Republicans. They were clearly trying to kill that Hunter Biden story, which when we did a poll back in uh, on Election Day in 2020 for uh, Brent Bozell and the Media Research Center, only only, uh, 36 percent of the uh, Biden voters were not aware of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And if they had been aware, 13 percent would have changed their vote by either not voting for Biden or voting for Biden. We're turning out to be a lawless society. I mean, people are breaking the law all over the place, and nobody gives a damn. Governor Pataki. You know, John, I think people do care. But uh, And John McLaughlin, I love you. You're a brilliant guy. You're very loyal. Trump is the problem. If we don't nominate Trump in two years, the Republicans are going to win in a landslide. And you hit it right in the head. The majority of the voters, overwhelming majority, like our policies. But they don't like him. 
uh, and it's well, time were. for us to realize that and move on. And yes, you are right about the Hunter Biden laptop. I hope there's a lot of hearings and that comes out about it. But our candidacy has got to be about the future. It's got to be about the country. It's about restoring law and order and making sure the FBI and the Justice Department do the right thing and aren't political. Uh, that's not going to happen if Donald Trump's the candidate. If Lee Zeldin's the candidate, he will win and that will happen. By the way, what I'm, what I'm saying about it going forward, we had a situation where it wasn't just Donald Trump. It was also the New York Post. Their freedom of the press was suspended by, in effect, big tech. They did not cover the, that story. So if you were in a situation going forward in 2024, and we think we're going to get a fair, fair hearing and, and going to win an election, not when you have big tech and big media censoring stories going forward that that this needs to be played out and and, and it needs to, we need to find out more about this and and what's going on because if we don't outside of abc Not, radio people will never get the truth that's it wabc tells the truth everybody else well scratch your head <laughs> thank you john mclaughlin and uh, we'll catch up again real soon this is cats at night on the red apple podcast network well, we're back, and uh, we're, we have Governor Pataki uh, uh, in the studio with us. And, uh, Governor, you you just took a trip to Hungary, uh, Ukraine. I, I mean, uh, if you would have paid me, I wouldn't have gone. You know, uh, it wasn't a pleasure trip, and I understand why you wouldn't want to go. But, uh, you know, our little organization, the Pataki Center, has— just seeing that the Ukrainian people are suffering and the humanitarian aid that uh, Congress has passed isn't there. So what we've been doing is taking in humanitarian aid. And this time we took in 15 very large heaters, each one capable of heating four giant apartment houses to help the Ukrainians get through the winter because the, the Russians are trying to destroy their heat, destroy their power grid. And they're actually succeeding in doing that. So we had a request from the mayor of Odessa. Can you get us heaters? Uh, we got the heaters. We took them to Ukraine where the Ukrainian government said, uh, we're not taking them to Odessa. We're going to use them because Zelensky is creating what he calls resiliency centers where people can go and they, when they don't have heater power and get heat. And our heaters are going to be used to provide heat in some of those. So it was a very rewarding trip. Now, but, uh, I hear how, how deep into the Ukraine did you go? Because I hear they, they have a serious problems with electricity, serious problems do. with everything. They do. In fact, uh, this is the first time. This is our fifth trip. But the first time we got to the border and we couldn't get across because they had a power outage. Uh, and that happened happened before. Well, we had you on the phone that Sunday morning, and uh, the security guards were coming for you. Yeah, the security guards were coming for us. They, the borders used to be relatively easy to get across, but now with the power outages and the other problems, it was much more difficult. And we got in and did the first event, which was turning over these industrial heaters. And then all of a sudden, the air raid sirens went off. And we were in the south and western Ukraine. We weren't near where any of the fighting is, but all over the country. You now see these power outages and the air raid sirens because the Russian rocket and drone attacks are indiscriminate. They're going all over Ukraine. And it's just it's just a horrible thing to see. And uh, we have to do more to help them defeat Russia. I mean, Russia is their allies are North Korea and Iran. That's all you need to know. They've done everything they could to attack our grid, to engage in cyber warfare, to divide the American people. And now they've invaded Ukraine. So. I feel very passionate about this. It's right versus wrong. We're on the right side. 
Now, uh, Governor, yesterday uh, we had a serious discussion uh, about the 5G antennas going up in New York. Uh, they're going up all over Manhattan, all over New York City. And uh, we had Rebe- Assemblywoman Rebecca Seawright on, and uh, she referred to a study. They were trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes and just get it done, I understand. Uh uh, they had a, a non-partisan study from New Hampshire, both Democrats, Republicans, and they find that these 5G antennas have to be a minimum 1,640 feet away from human beings. That's impossible in Manhattan. You're never 1,640 feet away from a human being in Manhattan. Well, John, you know what you I know, said? What? Put it in the middle of Central Park. We have a shot at living then. <laughs> yeah, but John, I'm sure that study didn't talk about 32-foot-high 5G cell towers. I mean, they're probably the smaller towers. You know, they were, they've been putting these up around New York City for decades. But this is huge. This is huge. And Craig, you know, okay. they, nobody I, knew I about it. I understand Dr. Howard, uh, who has a copy of the study, is on with us. Uh, we have Dr. John Howard on. Uh, Dr. Howard, tell Tell us on those 5G. Uh, I, I believe you have a copy of the study that was done. Um, yes, I do. Tell, give I us, do a, give us inf- some information on it. Well, one of the problems is that uh, if you're going to place 2,000 uh, sites in Manhattan, uh, that will increase the radiation pollution. And radiation, as you know, it affects the human cells. Uh, it makes them vibrate, resonate, and he- makes them heat up. So the results could be, uh, let's say, detrimental to human health. On top of that, if they are using millimeter waves, the result will be catastrophic. Uh, millimeter waves can penetrate easily the eyes and blind people, and uh, they can also affect the cells much, much more than the lower frequencies that have been used up to now. Uh, If they do that and they use millimeter waves, uh, I myself will avoid traveling to New York, to be honest. Uh, My health is more important than any financial gains that uh, these companies are going to well, your health is more important than getting getting uh, your cell phone to work one second faster. <laughs> one second faster. I don't think that matters that much. Do you know, was the, the city, I presume, must have done a very thorough analysis. I think, I think they were sneaking it in. There was no analysis if done. If there is no study, then this should be stopped immediately. Well, uh, if, well, if there's any question about the health and safety of the people of New York, you don't charge ahead with something as massive and dangerous as this. Right. It's that simple. Right. And they're looking to start uh, to bring them in have, January throughout the city. Has anyone yeah, started a lawsuit? Not that. yet. Not yet. <laughs> the community board is meeting, you. I think, tomorrow night. They right on this issue to, to be heard on this. But this, I think the governor is absolutely right. This has to be slowed down. has to be looked at very carefully. Dr. Howard is right. You just don't go rushing in to do this when there's real questions about the public health and safety. You need to get a stay in place. I think someone needs to bring an action, get a stay, and then... Uh, you, got, you, you, you sound like a lawyer, Craig. Well, Are well, you getting ready to we'll bring this? We'll find out more. Let's see what else Dr. Howard has to say yeah. 
uh, before we... Dr. Howard, what else do you, you have to say about that? Uh, I, I want to point out that I was a witness uh, when I was a student of one of my professors uh, being at a frequency uh, much lower than millimeter waves, if they are going to use them, where he was almost blinded by looking at the small antenna. I was present and I had to take him to the ophthalmologist uh, who confirmed that if he felt any pain, he would have been blind. So I think that a lot of study and a lot of work needs to be done before such uh, measures, which could be near uh, schools, near uh, uh, human beings, uh, before anything like that can be introduced. So I would really, as I said, I'm very much against that. And if they deploy these 2,000 uh, sites, I, for one, will avoid visiting the city. You th- you, in other words, even short-term exposure, you feel endangered? If you came to visit the city to go to the theater, it would affect you? Uh, it always affects you. Anything, any time that you spend more than 10 minutes near a cell phone or near a tower, it affects your human cells. And therefore, I don't want to chance it. As I said, my health is more important than any financial gain uh, by any company, including mine. Including, if you even if you're getting your your, your download one second faster, uh, you know that's yes. that's a silly part right. of it. Doctor, as you know, John, I, I do have we do have a company that deals in both defense and telecommunications, so we are very much aware of the effects of radiation. Well, thank you, Doctor John Howard, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon, and. Uh, and uh, I pray for the people in New York. We you better know, get this thing stopped, uh, Governor. Yes, John, just what we need is another reason for people not to come back to the office. You know, yeah. uh, uh, it's... Or go to the restaurant. Or go, or go to the, the restaurant. Or go to school. Assemblywoman Rebecca Seabright was... One of, the, one of the poles, one of the antennas, was 10 feet from a window uh, with a baby in it. It's, it's just unbelievable if the city has not done a very thorough health study and... and I don't. I'm aware that they. Unaware that they have. If then this should be stopped and it shouldn't happen. All right, Doctor Howard, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again real soon to get updates on it. Cats at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back, and with us today is Ryan Payne and uh, uh, Pain Management. And uh, Ryan, I mean, the markets are all over the place today. What the heck is going on? Explain to the average person out there, and we got a million listeners right now. Explain to the average person what happened today uh, with interest rates, and what happened. The markets were up eight hundred points, and now they they closed. Where they closed down or something? Up a hundred. Um, up hundred. Yeah, they're up a hundred. So it did close up. So. You know, we'll put that out there. The market did have a positive day. But again, remember, we had a couple big days in a row. You know, market was up big yesterday. And if you look at the Dow Jones specifically, it's up 20% over the last two months. I mean, that's a huge move. I'll take that as a yearly move, never mind two months. Um, so I think you're seeing a little bit of profit taking here amongst investors because it's been such a big move. But I mean, overall, look, we had inflation numbers come out today. Again, they came in lower than expected. 
And that's really what the investing public wants to see. You know, that's really going to lead to uh, some ease in the economy, starting to see prices come down. I mean, we talked about oil, John. Uh, ad nauseum on your show, when oil prices go down, now at the pump you're paying $3.25 versus $5 back in June. That's like a tax break for the American consumer. Uh, so I think, you know, the overall is we've got a lot of positive news coming in. And a lot of economists have been very, very negative all year. Uh, they're kind of starting to, to change their tune. Maybe they've been listening to me and you on Fox Business and saying, hey, those guys, you know, they're pretty smart. Well, where do you think we're going? I mean, uh, uh, the Fed is going to uh, is going to take a position, what, tomorrow afternoon? Tomorrow afternoon. And, I mean, look, it's pretty much baked in. They're going to come out with less of an interest rate hike, looking at 50 basis points or 0.5%. And I think what the market's telling you, if you look at the 10-year Treasury, you know, that's come down a lot. Uh, you look at mortgage rates, they've come down a lot. The market's telling you that this interest rate uh, increase or cycle going up is, is starting to taper off. The Fed's almost done raising interest rates. And that's a very, very positive sign for the economy and hence the stock market as well. To what extent is that a result, uh, not just of, uh, of a, the inflation expectation coming down, but is the inflation expectation coming down not just the result of the interest increases, but also the fact that we have a very real possibility of a recession next year? In fact, Jamie Dimon just said he, he's extremely worried about a, a significant recession. Jamie Dimon is always worried about a recession. He's a banker, <laughs> the most conservative uh, people on earth. So I, I think the reality of it is, I mean, you know, you look at the labor market, and that's what I always go back to, is the Fed wants to cool the labor market off, but it's going to be impossible to do that. you got to remember, we have a labor shortage in this country. It's impossible to find workers. So if you look at the fact that wages were, you know, really strong, uh, you saw the labor report come out about a week ago, we know wages are going up, and now inflation's going down. I'd argue, and I've been arguing this every week on this show, that probably lends to a soft landing next year. You know, you've got every economist out there predicting recession. And I'm always suspect if you have economists all agreeing about the same thing, it probably is, it's probably not going to happen. Well, um, I don't know what to tell you. I hope you're right. I, I hope mean, we I don't hope have you're a recession. Right. I, mean, I hope, uh, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know I, I, I really, really believe America, the only person that can cause this recession is, I said, Jay Powell keeps in, increasing the interest rates. It's going to be Jay Powell that causes the recession. Okay. But Ryan, it's Richard Warren, but I'll tell you what I'm troubled by. The United States Department of Labor has issued this rule, which gives cover to invest in ESG investments and not break the fiduciary rules. So, in other words, they now have to assess the impact of ESG rather than an obligation to uh, maintain risk management and to increase returns to, to the investors. I think that's going to hurt the economy. I think that's going to hurt investors. What do you think? Well, I, I think it has already, right, because a lot of these ESG funds have had no energy exposure. And as we know, energy has been the hottest place to be this year uh, in the stock market. And let's face it, it's a bunch of BS when you get down to it. It's so arbitrary. There, there's no way to really determine if something is environmentally friendly, socially friendly, or governance is proper or not, right? So I, I think all of it has just been a way for Wall Street to charge more fees. And you're right, from a performance perspective, if you were you know, buying into the whole ESG model, um, you missed out on fossil fuels doing really well this year. Um, and I do, think I, my, do I want my pension invested in Solyndra? No, you don't. 
right. Now we also, by the way, uh, Ryan Payne, we also have Bert Flickinger on the line with us. Uh, stay on, Ryan. Let's hear, hear what Bert has to say. Bert, uh, uh, Bert is an expert in consumer uh, uh, spending, et cetera, et cetera. Bert, what do you see from the consumers? What do you see from the food manufacturers? What's going on? John, uh, wages going up, as you know well, in New York State, 7.5% this month. Uh, wages across the U.S. going up 5%. Inflation still 7%. Boston Globe, New York Times are reporting Christmas tree prices are up 30% for the scrawny trees, 300% for the big trees. So potential train wreck under the Christmas tree because uh, people can't afford to get the gifts uh, to go under them. And in uh, our store checks across the country, a lot of people out looking in stores, browsing but not buying. And if they buy, there's, they have small bags with only a few items, no big bags like pre So you think it's going to be a bust of a Christmas as far as consumer spending? Uh, bust of a Christmas, uh, adjusted for inflation, just like Cyber Monday and Black Friday were uh, bust, adjusted for inflation at the end of November. Wow. Oh, that's that's scary. Ryan, what do you say about that? I mean, can I push back a little bit? Um, you know, if, you, if you look at, you know, what the, uh, I guess, expected spending is going to be over the holidays, it's supposed to be 6 or 7% higher than last year, which would be right in line with inflation. Yeah, but it's 6 and or 7% higher uh, than last year's, uh, and if inflation is 10, 11, 12, you're down 5. Yeah, but, I mean, inflation just came down to closer to uh, 6 7. Seven point one. Right. Well, for right for headline inflation, core at six. So, yeah, I think I, the bottom I, line is the consumer has been, I mean, surprisingly done held up really well this year. I think that's one of the biggest surprises that I think most strategists and economists have gotten wrong. I, I'll so, give you the alphabet. Well, I think the, the consumer yeah. feels like they got to get out of jail free card uh, uh, after the COVID, and they're out. Uh, they wanted to fly on airplanes. They wanted to go to Europe. The euro was cheap, and they didn't want to be locked in anymore. And they also had apparently it's one point two trillion dollars in excess savings because of the COVID between the stimulus and the lack of buying or traveling. There was a built up massive surplus of savings that the consumer had, and we're working through that. So I wish I shared Ryan's optimism, but I, I do have some real concerns. Governor Pinecki's point's perfect because consumer savings last year at this time were uh, 23%. Now it's down to 2%. And the answer for retail is the A to, a to Z uh, all these customer counts in the parking lots are up three to four hundred percent. Wegmans, which is higher prices, down. And if it's they're not going to Aldi, they're going to Amazon and Zappos, buying online. But uh, close to ninety-five percent of everything that was sold in the end of November uh, for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales were deeply discounted to the uh, best bargains, lowest prices in history. And unless it's deeply discounted, customer can't afford to get gas, groceries, and gifts. Uh, so uh, Governor Pataki's right, real cause for concern. Yeah. Bert, it's Richard Weinberg. I walk up and down the streets of Manhattan, and all I see is empty brick-and-mortar space. And that's a very big negative for the economy. And that's telling people that they're scared. They're not investing. They still have very low occupancy in the commercial buildings. Does not impact the future of this economy? Judge, you uh, synthesized it very succinctly and, and exceptionally well, because 
Uh, retail is the gateway uh, to creating jobs, the biggest biggest sector uh, for business, biggest sector for employment. And this is the first time in U.S. history since the Great Depression in the 1930s that retailers are laying off this time of year more than they're hiring. But you know what I think? I think part of it is the fact that during COVID, people weren't going out and shopping. They were shopping online. And now they're yeah, continuing to buy on Amazon because it's easy. I think that's a big part of it, right? The consumer spending really hasn't come down. It's just a lot of it shifted it's to just, online. It's just shifting to online because people are used to it yeah. because that's what they did for two years. Yeah, and who's, by the way? Shift, shifting online because of crime, too, yeah, because yeah, you yeah. still have over 40% of Americans concerned to go into stores because of uh, crime and potential cross-contamination of respiratory diseases. But if the retail is down... Who's going to employ these people? Where are the revenues coming to pay for all the social programs? Because you need taxation that's coming out of the sales on the uh, on the retail stores. And, and if you destroy the retail cars like Third Avenue and Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, then crime rises because there's no one on the streets shopping, no that's one eating exactly in the restaurants, right, no exactly one going out to the bars at night. So we need we need these stores and the brick and mortar to continue to operate. Jay, uh, uh, Judge and Craig, you're completely correct in. Up to 60% of the public school budgets across the country come from uh, the property taxes from retail malls, retail stores, and sales tax. And uh, you compress and uh, crush consumer demand because of crime. Uh, Retail's uh, not coming back, and we're not going back to an agrarian economy of the 1800s. So we've got a real crisis coming around the corner. Judge, to your, your point, Craig's point, and Governor Pataki's excellent points. Governor, you ran the state for 12 years. Where the heck are we? What do you think? Uh, I think we're in trouble. Uh, I think we've had these billions in stimulus money that that went to individuals and hundreds of billions that went to governments. That's not going to continue. That stops January 1st. Uh, And I think a lot of states, like the city and the the state of New York, have been counting on these billions in federal bailout funds that aren't going to be there. So I think they're going to have to take a hard look uh, at at, uh, what the spending is. And I would hope they would see that they can reduce spending significantly and continue to uh, deliver services if they become more efficient. But I don't have a high level of confidence. The governor's absolutely right because they can't even balance the budget for the MTA with all this federal infusion. What are they going to do when there's no more federal money for the transit? And you need to have a viable transit system to survive the city. Government has become reliant on federal bailouts. They're going to stop. It's going to create real problems in states and cities like New York. Yes. Uh, Ryan Payne, thank you. Today. <laughs> Ryan Payne, thank you. And uh, Bert Flickinger, thank you. And and in the studio, uh, Governor Pataki, uh, Judge Weinberg, and Craig Eaton. Thank you all. And you know what we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.